What do you love about the craft beer industry? Is it the liquids, the creativity, or perhaps the physical breweries themselves? For me, it's the people, and more specifically, the stories they have to tell. I love hearing them, but sharing them with you is even better. I'm Chris Lukinenko. Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews. doing in 2012 i honestly can't remember what i was doing but i do know the london olympics were on the avengers were released and the lights went out in the super bowl and that's about all i got luckily there's google because google also told me that in 2012 young henry's was born speaking of young henry's i remember my first visit to young henry's not because i was blown away the night that i went there don't get me wrong i've been a few times and the brewery is awesome and the beers are top notch but I remember the first night so vividly, which is weird for someone like me, because I have a terrible memory. I'd been at work at the Malt Shovel Brewery that day, and I decided I would walk the two kilometres or so to Young Henry's. It's maybe 6.30pm by this time, as I got near to the brewery, and I heard a thumping of R&B music at what I thought was a pub, which in fact turned out it wasn't a pub, it was the famous Enmore Theatre, and the music was being sung by platinum-selling 90s girl group TLC, who happened to be one of my favourites from that time in my life. So... I sat outside and I had to listen to about 15 minutes or so. When it abruptly ended, I was like, what the hell? But later on, I realised I was just listening to a sound check and the concert was actually later that night. What I also realised a little bit later that night was that Young Henry's closes at 7pm and I had missed my chance to taste their amazing beers. So there I am in the middle of Newtown, knowing nobody, not really knowing where I am. Their music stopped, there's no beer in my hand and I am alone. Luckily, some local bloke directed me to a nearby pub that served Young Henry's beer on tap. Not quite the same as the brewery, but I made it work that night. And that, kids, is how I met your mother. No, anyway, sorry about that. That was an extremely long and self-centered way of introducing my guest for this episode. Welcome to the Beer Healer Interviews, Young Henry's head brewer, Jesse Searles. G'day, how you going? Good, mate. That was a, that was a good one. <laughs> I told you it was weird. I Sometimes I don't even know where I get these things from. My mind goes off in a direction and uh, as uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. I should have, a- <laughs> should have pumped your tyres, pumped Young Henry's tyres, and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, let's just let's fix everything, and I'll crack my beer that you set me down. The Brewers B size, the Fantasmic Mister Hops Experimental I will admit, I've, IPA. I've um I've listened to plenty of sound checks at the Enmore as well. Just when I go out to lunch and stuff, I've heard some of my favourite bands actually warming up. I and more so that's it. pretty cool. Yeah. It sounded awesome. And yeah, they were one of my favorites back in the day. And then just it finished really quickly. So anyway, you <laughs> live and learn. <laughs> um, let's jump into this thing. Uh, cheers, by the way. Thanks cheers. for the beer. Cheers. Mm. Oh, that's nice. We'll get into that later. Now, um, i got now when I have guests on the show, sometimes they're quiet, sometimes they're a little bit eclectic, sometimes they, you know, a real talker, that sort of thing. The feeling I got for you, and I could be completely wrong, I feel like you've got a few stories to share. Now, I don't know what made me feel that way, but when I say this, this is why maybe I think this. You've worked with Young Henry since 2016. Yep. But you went to a performing arts school. Please explain. <laughs> How the hell do you get that info? <laughs> oh, look, I am thorough. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I went to, I actually went to Newtown Performing Arts, which is about uh, 200 metres up the road from the brewery. Is that a prestigious um, performing arts school? Um, Who are some of their alumni? Yeah. Uh, let me think. Alex, um, what was that bloke? Dimitriades. You, uh, you, you are amazing. That, um, oh, Alex Lloyd. 
Floyd, yeah, yeah. He, he was he went there. Um, Terry Hill, the rugby league player, went there when it was a boys' school back in the eighties. Yep. Um, not a huge, a lot of a lot of like fairly well known session musos went there. So yep, it's actually a public school, but it's it's um you got to audition to get in. So when oh, I went there, okay. yeah, I went there in the early two thousands, and uh, it was still pretty rough around the edges, but obviously had that. Can you tell me what your audition was to, as you went in? Was it something like I don't know, Grease Lightning? No, no, <laughs> I I actually played um, here, there, and everywhere as an instrumental on guitar, and um, which was it was good. Yeah, I, I I got in for that, so <laughs> I must yeah, have done nice. something right. <laughs> nice. I feel like we're going to touch on music tonight, and I'm and I'm I'm excited about that. Well, music and Young Henry's go uh, very much hand in hand. Cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so you've left school. Did you what? Did you want to go out and you know be part of a touring band, or were you keen to well, go overseas, or did you just want to become a brewer? How did that all happen? Well, I wanted to be a rock star, of course, um, as everyone did. As we all, can you see my electric drum kit in the background? Yeah, okay. No, yeah. Sure. <laughs> what, what's that? Is that a bass? Oh, no, that's oh, yeah. a, a ukulele. Oh right, electric ukulele. ukulele. Yeah, right. And then and then there's a guitar. So, oh no, the guitar's not here at the moment. But yeah, I'm, yeah right. I'm a very very poor musician, but I do but I do love my music. Well, my dad runs the um, well used to run the Hobart Ukulele Club. Oh, get out! Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow! Well. Yeah, there so, you go. Uh, there you go. Um, a small world. Yeah, no. So music. Uh, I, I, yeah, I wanted to obviously be a muso. I was for a couple of years after high school. I was in a um, a band that was like I was I was a I was hired as a session muso. Yep. Um, so that was a bunch of older blokes, but we did sort of toured the east coast a bit. They were a reggae band, and I was I was more of a rock oh, and roll cool. guy. But um, so it, I was it, just it was, I was just singing tonight as I came up here. Yeah, don't worry about <laughs> Did you ever play yeah, that live? Yeah, I think we did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic, um, classic. But yeah, so I, I, I did that for a couple of years and quickly realised that. Uh, it's almost impossible to make a living. Yeah, uh, doing that. Sadly, um, you won't have been the first person to have discovered that, would you? No, a, f- a few of my mates that I went to high school with are still yet to discover that. Unfortunately, but good on them for <laughs> sticking with it. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, the dream was over. Well, yeah, more. I mean, I think I just sort of realised that it wasn't realistic unless I struck the jackpot, which yeah. I probably didn't have the the smarts about me at the time. Well, I still don't, but um, <laughs> <laughs> me neither. To, to have got it, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. So, so okay, dreams over. What are you? What's the conversation with your parents? What are you? What are you going to do? Well, they were kind of just um, really wanted me to get a job, so I started delivering pizza. Um, yeah. <laughs> in my shitty car, my Nissan. What was it? A, no, Hyundai Sports Wagon. It's about Ooh, twenty years old when I had it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then I, uh, luckily, I fell into hospitality at my local ah. pub in Bal- in Balmain. So I grew up in an area of Sydney called Balmain. Yep. Um, very famous for pub culture, and yep. um, ha- used to have the most pubs per square capita in the world. Actually, oh, um, wow. it was an, it's an old do- Dockers suburb. So now it's the highest concentration of neurosurgeons in in the, uh, Australia. <laughs> Serious? <laughs> yeah. So everyone's there driving Lambos down the road. But. Every day's a school day on this podcast. Bloody hell! <laughs> um, but yeah, so I got a job at um, Dick's Hotel, which is my local. I grew up in a house about fifty meters from there. Um, <laughs> just started as a glassy and and yep. you know got got into bartending and quickly. You know, I, I'd always loved science um, at school, and I obviously loved creativity and and all yeah. that, but. 
getting more into the sort of hospitality and, and ha- learning about alcohol. Um, that kind of was where it all started for me, really. Um, yep. Specifically with spirits, like I, I, my first sort of love was rum. Uh, so I, I learned, I, I sort of really enjoyed learning about rum and and other spirits. I, I got into scotch later and, and then whiskey is a broader thing. But yeah, that's sort of where the whole booze journey started, as you'd expect if you worked at a pub. But um, so I did that for a while. And then I, um, as a as a staunch, loyal Carlton draft drinker, I left, <laughs> Australia, <laughs> I left Australia to move to the UK for three years. Uh, and that sort of, that was when I was 23. And that's when I really like living over there and traveling a lot and sort of um, experiencing a lot of different uh, different types of um, alcohol, but specifically like local beers and getting yeah. an understanding of like the English um, beer culture was, that was a big eye opener for me. What were some um, of the, the brands that you were attracted to over there? Well, I remember Mean Time had just sort of gone big. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the brewery in Greenwich in sort of yep. southeast London, yeah. And they had those lovely um, little small champagne bottles as their orange bottles, very I much like Moo Brew used to yeah, do. Yeah, Moose. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, they were really getting traction when I was there. So it was Camden Brewery. They were taken off. Oh, yeah, even, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a little bit. Jamie, Jamie Oliver was involved at that time, wasn't he? Uh, with Camden Town Brewery? Yeah. Oh, I'm I not thought, sure. I, didn't, I never I knew that. I think he got involved somewhere at the, at the start of that thing. I'm, well, I'm maybe sure that was got... his favourite in – I don't know. I'm going to look it yeah, up. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I, I'm <laughs> sure he, he had. He has his fingers in a lot of pies, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I never really got into the real ale thing. Um, that was – I just couldn't get past the – it's just a, such a different thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I had to learn working in pubs in, in England. I had to learn how to, um, you know, handle the casks and all that. And yeah. the amount of effort and knowledge you have to have to properly serve something that – is just getting oxidized as it's served because you literally <laughs> you, it's literally being displaced with oxygen. Yeah. Um it, it just blows me away and I remember those kegs are, are really cheap. Like that beer is actually quite cheap compared to lager as as the British yep. call it, but like as yeah, a normal draft beer. And I never I never made sense to me like how do you how do you have to put all this effort in, into something that's really cheap and goes off after 3 days, but I guess it's a tradition is, thing. Is that all a cask of that beer lasts three days once it's tapped? That's yeah. They say if oh. it's gone in, if it's not gone in three days, but it's true. It's just heavily oxidized. Like yeah, yeah. And and it, yeah, there's a real thing about oh, how's it drinking and all that. Like it's not just the product. It's a it's yep. more of a, a situational experience as well, which is really cool. But I just I could never get into the the actual beer. <laughs> yeah, I forget the last time I was over there. Um, I I knew I'd started getting into craft beer. And we went to this little pub in some small town, you know, like one of those ones that were built in 1500 something. And I've walked in and, and I've, I've seen real ale on tap water. I thought, oh, you'll beauty, some craft beer. And I could not have been more disappointed if I had a tribe with this beer yeah. that got this flat brown looking liquid. I was like, what is this? <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, I've had a few Ooh. of those. Hey, time for a quick break, but don't worry, I won't take long. If you like this story and want to hear more, please subscribe via your favourite podcast service so that you are notified of new episodes. You can also rate the podcast on Apple and Spotify to help others find it. And if you don't follow me on the socials, check me out. I think I go a lot over there. Now, back to the story. So did you just stay in London or did you do the, the whole, you know, backpacker thing around Europe? I spent about a year um, traveling, predominantly in Eastern Europe, which was really cool. I really just got really involved, cool. in, interested in sort of that side of the world. 
um, and drunk a lot of pretty dodgy rakia. <laughs> <laughs> what is rakia? Uh, rakia is basically just moonshine, but it's it's made, and every country, especially in the Balt uh, in the Balkans, yeah. um, will claim like ex Yugoslavia will claim that they invented it. But yeah, and they all have different spellings of it and everything. Yeah. But it's grape spirit. It's basically really badly distilled grape spirit, and then they flavor it with all different things. My family's Ukrainian, and we have a thing called Slivovitz. Same sort right. of sort of idea, like triple distilled, yeah. and just it's like I don't know what what proof it is, but it will take um, varnish off off, yeah. off wood. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah it's pretty dodgy. <laughs> gut rot. Uh, what was your favourite stop on on your European tour? Um, well, I, I I went to Ukraine actually for about a month Did you, um, oh. with two of my best mates, and and uh, I really loved that. That was it's in twenty fifteen. Yeah, it was really oh, incredible. I say that it's beautiful. I've never been because uh, I I wasn't in a position to go with my brother and my father went on a trip, and then by the time I got into the position that I could be fucking the world's gone mad, and I'll, yeah, I don't think I'll yeah. ever get to see my father's homeland, which is which is a bit sad, really. It is, and uh, we can talk about it later. But we actually we've recently done a. Um, a project with a company here in Sydney um, who are doing who are going to open a um, Ukrainian themed version of what what they offer, which is I can explain it later. But it's no, basically going to be now. do it. Oh, Go okay, for well, a tangent. It, yeah, yeah. So, okay. so it, it's a company called Played It Forward, and um, they're basically a non for profit, and they they have a bunch of restaurants in Sydney, and each one is sort of targeted at a different cuisine, or, and usually from a certain country, um, and they're they're all called something social. So there's a one up the road on Enmore Road, um, which is a Sri Lankan restaurant, which is called Colombo Social, and there's an Afghanistani one called Kabul Social, so on and so forth. So the Kiev Social is actually about to open in a couple of weeks, and we had the soft opening uh, two weeks ago. But th- they approached us to, to to do a beer for them, so we did a like a Ukrainian inspired uh, lager. So I, oh. I put a lot of beers in the Ukraine um, yeah, nice. and remembered what they like. I mean, Ukraine doesn't have a really specific beer sort of no. terroir, but yep. they, they, I remember them all being like well-made, tasty macro lagers basically. Yep, yep. But we, we uh, so we, we brewed a, um, just 20 heck, which is one turn on our brew house at Newtown. Um, uh, yeah, like really nice uh, double decoction, full like all um, – uh, we couldn't get any Ukrainian ingredients sadly for, for obvious reasons, oh. but we used we – we went as close as possible – but that beer got a lot of tank time as well. It was in tank about ten weeks, lagering, um, and then we we centrifuged it and kegged it off. And um, yeah, we had there was a soft opening. The um, Ukrainian ambassador was there actually. Um, oh wow, Vasil Miryachenko, I think his name is. But yeah, it was an incredible event. But we we get to do cool stuff like that quite often. But that is awesome. Um, to to have made the beer for that and to have really fallen in love with Ukraine when I was there was like a really special moment. Man, that, in my that is. That is special. It's a shame you couldn't have used the Ukrainian ingredients because what do they call Ukrainians like the bread? Sorry, the Ukraine's the bread basket of Europe. Well, they grow, yeah, they grow yeah. basically. I think it's something like seventy or eighty percent of the of wheat that is used in uh, in Europe, yeah. uh, and then a shitload of rye as well. Um, but you know, I, I, the, all those grains are probably more destined for for bread production, not yep. or feed, okay. not not brewing. But yeah, they yeah. actually also have a couple of um, hop varieties as well, but. Yeah, very, very hard to get your hands oh, on wow. nowadays. Yeah. I'm, I'm holding up a picture that people might have seen on my Instagram at some stage of a beer called Obolon, which I drank in the Maldives, which describes itself as the first Ukrainian beer. Um, 
I've got to say, it wasn't a great Ukrainian beer, <laughs> uh, macro lager, but uh, I was pretty chuffed and smuggled a few of those back to uh, give to my old man when we we got back. So, jeez, cool. uh, I, I love I love beer stories around around travel and tourism and all that sort of thing. And so, uh, when I realised that you had spent some time in Europe, I was hoping you might have a few little sneakies up your sleeve that um, you know might get other people excited about getting out there and and experiencing you know beer tourism because I just love it. Yeah, man, it's it's something I've gone back um, after, you know, getting into beer properly and becoming a brewer and all that and having that more refined appreciation and a bit of, a bit of knowledge, obviously, about yeah. how it's all done. Um, going back and in 2019, actually just before COVID, I went to visit um, a good friend and a guy, a, a guy that used to be a brewer at Young Henry's. He was he was doing a big trip. And, um, yeah, we went to, to Austria, Czech, Republic and, and Germany. I've been to most of these places before, but to go back and really appreciate um, some of those beers, like from the from the source, was incredible. We, yeah. we did the tour at um, at uh, Chesky Budjevic here, is, which is Budvar Brewery or Budweiser, oh, yeah. the, the yeah, original yeah. Budweiser. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was that was always my favourite Czech pill, so that was pretty cool. But yeah, that tour nice. was incredible. Like, mate, the uh, the scale of it, that, that one brewery makes. Every drop of that beer in the world that's not it's not contracted out like um, Pilsner Kell is. So oh, to right. see, yeah, see some of the old equipment in the shitty, excuse me, shitty like uh, pumps and hoses that they've got in these cellars that are about ten meters underground and, and naturally very cold. Yeah, that was pretty incredible. Like, yeah, just amazing. Oh, you're making me jealous. I, I, <laughs> I assumed that you know, as a well-established brewer, you you get to take you know cool trips. Like I, I speak to people like. I know Marzen Hajar or Sterling Howland, and they go to the cool Firestone Beer Festival or go and make beer with Bale Breaker or go to the Bale Breaker Hops, all that sort of stuff. Do you get? Are you at that level now where you get to go and do that sort of cool shit? Uh, yeah, l- luckily I am. Um, my job, <laughs> <laughs> my job nowadays is um, fairly cushy in that regard, which is I really I love, but it actually offers me a lot of opportunity to you know, number one, learn, but also, yeah. um, you know, really get young Henry's out there and, and all that. Um, but yeah, I've done a bunch of things. Actually, you just mentioned Mazan. I, I uh, met him at CBC in Minneapolis last year um, for yep. the first time, which was cool. We had a pretty wild night together. Good fella. Um, Good fella. Yeah. He's, he's got a few stories, that fella. Fucking nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. Uh, I also did late last year, I went to hop selection in the States, um, oh. selecting on behalf of Australia with, with HPA, which was a real oh. honor and incredible Bastard. learning opportunity. That yes. is, un- that is cool. That was that's like, very that's cool. That's like bucket list stuff, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Uh, I do a lot of trips in Australia. Um, hopefully get over New Zealand hop harvest next year. Um, nice. I was going to go, I was going to go again for hop selection in, in the States, which would be right now. Yep. Um, this year, but just I don't know if, if all your guests are saying the same thing about the the market at the moment. The the budgets are all pretty tight. Like it's a pretty <laughs> quiet market, so Shit, yeah. there's not as there's not as much room for that stuff at the moment. But um, the glory days will come again for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm trying to do a house renovation right now, so I'm feeling the pain as well. Yeah, it's, right. it's not easy. <laughs> so did all that beer you um, experience and whatever in in Europe? Did that like make you say to yourself? I think I want to brew this stuff and then, you know, you get back into Sydney and that's that's what I'm going to do. Is that sort of how it happened? Yeah, more or less. Like uh, what what I really wanted to do was get into spirits, um, specifically whiskey. So I, I did a couple of trips to Scotland and, and saw that okay. whole thing, side yep. of it. And, you know, I went to some town, like Oban, for an example, a very well-known whiskey actually, but 
It's the oldest remaining distillery that's in the centre of the town on this tiny little 50,000 population, you know, sort of beachside west coast of Scotland town and they've got this fairly small distillery right in the middle of town and it produces every drop of open in the world and you can buy that stuff, you know, duty-free in just about every airport. Um, But, yeah, seeing all that kind of stuff really got me going on like I want to – I was kind of getting to my, the end of my tether with hospitality anyway, but yeah. I really realised I wanted to make something with my hands and, and then got cool. home. I, I took a job um, very fortuitously managing a bar called the Midnight Special, which was about 50 metres up and more road from from uh, Young Henry's. Yep. Um, and I also, my, that was the year, that was 2015, was the year my dad uh, relocated to Tassie. Yep. Which I'd been a few times when I was a kid because his partner, um, her, all her family's from there, so we'd gone down uh, a few times. Yep. But I, I kind of didn't understand why he was moving there and I went down there on a holiday <laughs> to just drive around and check it out. And that, I was like, fucking no shit, he's why he's moving here. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. But, but I went to like a bunch of distilleries and um, a couple of breweries, mainly uh, Bill McHenry at McHenry's down in Port Arthur. Yep. Yep. He he was just such a lovely guy. He took me and my partner at the time in and, you know, took us up the mountain to show us the spring water. I'd never seen a natural spring oh, and, like, just seeing. Yeah, but I, I, cool. I haven't been back since, but I know he's done a lot of expansion. But yeah, back then has. it was like, yeah. yeah, it was like still just a mount, a farm on the side of the mountain. And that was what really made I was like, I really want to give us a crack and make something with my hands. Yeah. Um, and make, you could make have done something and, easier like clay pots or something, couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, it was that and, uh, you know, I've, I've always never minded a drink, so I think it was an easy decision. <laughs> Beautiful. But, yeah, so I got back um, to Sydney and I, I luckily a lot of the brewer, the old brewers and people that worked at Young Henry's used to come into the Midnight Special, the bar I was running. Um, so I used to actually sort of give them a few free shots and by a few I mean Sylvia Nash, the owners of Midnight Special, I don't think they'll be listening to this, but if they are, I'm sorry, guys. Man's got to do what a man's got to do. Yeah, that that was sort of the plan I hatched was that I'll build a rapport with these people and then eventually ask for a job. So that's exactly what I did. And, uh, you know, a couple of months later I I asked, um, I actually interrupted a very, what looked like a very serious intimate conversation between the head brewer at the time, Ben Holdstock, um, who's now one of the founders of Heaps Normal, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the non-alc brand, and then yep. Dan McCulloch, otherwise known as VB, who <laughs> is sort of a – are you familiar I with him? But, I was laughing at his nickname. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, it stands for Von Brews, but he's a bit of a um, trailblazer, specifically in the sort of lab and quality side of craft brewing. Ah. He, he built the our lab at, at Young Henry's um, yep. above the tasting bar, which used to be an old gym and sort of got a whole bunch of cheap um, equipment, you know, on sale from universities and stuff. But he kind of founded that um, element of our production and which has remained to this day. It's a, anyway, that's a so big part of what you do, isn't it, the, the whole lab it's thing? It's huge, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a massive thing to, for us is quality of beer and, and understanding what we're doing and, and all that on that sort of side of things. And now we're actually outsourcing that lab. Um, to other craft breweries, we offer a service um, cool. to other yeah. craft breweries, which is great yeah, nice. because you know the the uh, the rising tide raises all ships. So if hey, every other craft I love brewery that can, saying. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if every other craft brewery can help, you know, if we can help them somehow improve their yeah. quality control, it's only a good thing for the industry. You know. Yeah. Hey, you, you um, talk about your dad um, coming down here. Um, yeah. American fella, did he have any sort of influence on you and want to introduce you to the world of American pale or anything like that? 
No, he, so he, he had a massive influence on me in terms of music because he was a musician ah. um, and a bit of a semi-rock star back in the 70s in Western Australia. Um, really? He, he moved what? to it. Yeah, yeah, he was what in a band you? called... Well, he was in a band called Sid Rumpo, which were, um, they're kind of like, um, it's kind of like harmony guitars, almost Sin Lizzy kind of thing, but like Boston, ah. the band Boston. Yeah, Boston, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah a bit oh, like cool. that. Um, but he, yeah, he was the front man of them in the, in the early 70s and oh, wow. he, was, he, he was in music his whole life, so he was sort of the inspiration behind me getting into music, but he was also a, um, <laughs> a Tui's ex driver. <laughs> I thought which, you were going to say Swan Draft or something. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but from a, even as a young kid, I remember he would give me, he'd always give me the first sip of his beer. He'd say, hey, oh, yeah, have yeah. a slug. Yeah. Um, and he would always say that cuts the grease, doesn't it? That's his saying like it's an old American saying. But yep. he, he uh, used to give me his first sip of his Ted's. And I used to be like, mate, this this is chemical beer. I used to call it chemical <laughs> beer, <laughs> which was ironic considering now. But um, yeah, so he was no, he he was not a craft beer or American sort of drink beer drinker at all. He, uh, which I've I've really helped him um, come over that. Now he's really into his craft beers, and I, he, I love that. I've done the same with my dad. It's so cool. I reckon. Yeah, well, and he's an older fellow as well. He's seventy six now, but um, same. He, he, yeah, right. So he, but he, uh, his favourite, or he calls it the benchmark, is um, uh, Hobart Brewing Harbour Master. The, oh, the, really? Yeah. The okay. Sta- is it state? What is it? It's cream ale. Yeah. No, no, no. That's oh, no, the, the, no, the, 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 sorry, the Harbour Master is the, the extra XPA, isn't it? No, no. Harbour Master is the original one. It's kind of a bit like a, a hoppy, hoppy amber ale sort of almost. Right, it's, yeah. it's a funny it, sort of one. Yeah, it's the Christopher. It is the cream ale? Yeah, and then okay. there's an XBA as well. Yeah, no, he's he's into the Harbour Master. Yeah, that's um, their like their always, OG beer. Yeah, yeah, and we always go. Um, I've got a lot of friends at, at Hobart Brewing Company. We actually did a collab with them yes. earlier this year, well, which was I really did a little cool. video for you guys with that one. Actually, oh right, you, there you go. You've obviously seen it. Yeah, you would have been impressed. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. Um, but yeah, no, we uh, anyway. So Dad's. Very much got a more refined palate now, which is good. Yeah, nice. Um, that was sorry, sorry to interrupt. That was the hockey beer that I couldn't understand the friggin' name of. Oh, and have you, explained you to you me. Would be, you and me both. <laughs> so the the way that collab came about was um, uh, one of our brewers, Jace or Jason. He's yep. good mates with Alec, one of the brewers yes. at Hobart. Yep. Uh, and they're both massive ice hockey fans. But he, Jace, he he'll text me ideas that he has about collabs and collabs. From a brewery's perspective, and especially a, a, a brand as big as us, doing like a small collab is actually quite complicated, and yeah. a lot of work has to go into it. Yep. Um. You know, if, it's so much more than just oh yeah, let's brew a beer together. It's way more than that. But anyhow, um, Jace texted me this idea about oh my mate at Hobart Brewing says let's do a collab, and I was like oh I'll, look I'll I'll take it to the directors, but they're probably going to say no, which is what I usually say to him. And uh, they were at the time because we were going to tie it in with our um, production team trip to to Tassie for hop harvest. Oh yeah, cool. uh, so we were like, well, we could brew it up here with one of them, and then we could send it, half of it down and have the release date on when we're there on the Friday that we're there after yep. hop harvest. Yeah, so that's exactly what we did, and it, yeah, it all nice. went ahead. But it, it was anyway. Him and yeah, him and Alec are massive ice hockey fans, and that saying "wheel snipe Sally" means something about yeah. You wheel away after taking a shot and then celebrate or something like that. Yeah. But, so yeah. one of my absolute best mates is one of their um, head head sales team. His name is Josh Connors, Republic. Oh, right. And uh, he I, I, had, I think I may have met him at the launch. 
you you wouldn't forget him. He's a pretty noisy sort of fella. Uh, he's a great bloke. Right. And, uh, yeah, he, he wrote me in and he had to explain to me because he's a bit of an ice hockey fan, had to explain to me what that um, that uh, saying meant. I, I didn't quite get it. Hey, mate, I want to pick up on uh, what you said there that doing a, a collab when you are yeah. a brand as big as yours is quite difficult because – and I've, I emailed you about this during the week. So, so listeners, when when I was working on my notes for this episode, I was emailing back and forth with Jesse a bit. And a comment I made to him was that from my perspective, down here in Hobart, I felt that young Henry's had gone quiet. And I wanted to explore what had happened, thinking that, you know, maybe you know, like with many brands, you're not, you're not always on top of the game and maybe things had changed. And and all because all I saw of them was the occasional six pack of Newtowner, great beer in my local dance, which is you know in really cut, stark contrast to what I had remembered them um, as. Because you know, Young Henry's for those that weren't around in the sort of early 2010s, they were one of the wave of that early 2010s. You know, Sydney's inner west craft breweries and w- were massive in in my opinion. And what it really turned out was, you know, the reality of getting the beer across to Bass Strait to serve a small market such as Tassie um, isn't necessarily a smart business decision. And it falls also into line with that old old beer adage um, that, you know, beer is best drunk in the shadow of the brewery. And I don't know, perhaps it's looking after the local community or, or maybe it's the rising cost of doing business. But I wanted to ask you, rather than what happened to Young Henry's, because we've proven that nothing has actually happened. It's just that we don't get lots of news down here in Tassie. But I wanted to know, do you agree with me that, you know, this hyper-local element to breweries is is actually becoming more and more prevalent because of the market situation that we're finding ourselves in right now? Yeah, I mean, well, yes and no. So I, I think um, if you look at the, the sort of model in America, I, I heard some, I can't even remember who it was, but I heard someone say one day, if you can sell beer from a hundred miles from your brewery in the states, then you've made it, and it's so true because it's so it's so saturated and yeah. and and everything, and and you don't and, need and to. Their, their liquor laws don't really allow you to cross borders a lot oh, of the time too. So, in the states, it's so yeah. complicated, yeah, yeah. But uh, like that sort of that to me was really like, yeah, I get that, and and beer is very much has historically always been a local thing, like. You know, the, the Egyptians weren't sending beer from Cairo to fucking wherever. Like you made beer where you drank it and you same yeah. as you baked bread where you ate it. Um, but, I mean, I guess now nowadays that's not necessarily the truth in terms of where bigger breweries have got to and, and conglomerates and all that. Like we're yep. obviously very proudly and still independently owned. Yep. Um, we experienced massive, massive growth um, for sort of three or four years in the mid uh, mid last decade, yep, and got to a size where you know we we needed to continue to try and grow. We couldn't just you know be profitable by only servicing our local market. Which we like what you're saying about not seeing uh, young Henry's beers in, in Tassie is very true because I'm down there all the time yep. and just don't see it. And there's there's obvious reasons for that. But like if you apply the opposite and you're up in Sydney and specifically the greater inner west and and the, yep. even the eastern suburbs, mate, like. Young Henry's is absolutely everywhere. It's completely like owns that space. Yeah, um, obviously a lot of other breweries do as well, but we're, yeah. we're in every pub. Like, um, and and to to your question about uh, the market now, I, I think absolutely there's going to be a massive. Uh, but, uh, what I call the gold rush, and and sort of in that same <laughs> time that, that Young Henry's really grew quickly, people thought, okay, build a brewery, spec it up to like 
you know, be able to make 10, liters, 10, 10 million litres of beer in three years from now and we're just going to print money. And obviously COVID then happened yep. or the bushfires before that and now the market, you know, inflation and the cost of living is through the roof. People mm. don't want to pay, you know, 80 bucks for a case when they can pay 50 bucks for a case. So yeah. what, what's going to happen, yeah. I think, is that is the market in terms of, in terms of breweries is sadly going to shrink. Yes. Uh, and we've already seen that. We basically see a brewery shutting every week. Yeah, um, which is really really sad, but it, it's kind of necessary for everyone else to survive. We're we're pretty lucky from that being a really big strong brand, um, especially on the east coast. Like we're kind of insulated from that, but it's still it's still a battle, mate. It's still a battle to grow. It's still it's still really really hard just to get that you know percentile of growth each yeah. quarter or whatever it is. Like I'm not in sales, but it, it is it is hard, and and hopefully you know in the next four or five years. We see the glory days return, and that, and that maybe, yeah, maybe the the scene does look very much more locally sourced and locally distributed, and back to that kind of real parochial yeah. uh, beer drinking, which I think Tassie, for example, is very set up for, and I, that's yeah. what I experience every time I'm there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, we we call it crystal balling at work, but we wish mm-hmm. we the, <laughs> we've had to do a lot of crystal balling yeah. through COVID, especially. But I wish I knew the answer. But who, who <laughs> knows what, what it'll look like? For, for those that don't know, like. During that, as you say, the like the mid twenty tens, you guys were, were massive. I, I kind of feel like you might have even been like in the Qantas magazine or something like that with advertisements and things like that. Now, you, I think it was it was either you guys or Modus, but I think at, at that level you guys were at with the with the Newtowner as kind of like your lead brand. You were everywhere, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge. I mean, it's like we we, uh, you know, I think when I started there, WA was I think our third biggest market in terms of state. Wow! After after New South Wales and maybe Victoria back then, but you know it, we we had to pull out of WA in twenty seventeen or eighteen because the cost of sending and it just doesn't oh, make sense, crazy. right? You, nah. you send beers, you know what is it, three thousand k's by road, um, in the back of a you know across the Nullarbor in forty degrees. It's just not realistic. Like, but yep. we we were to, to your point, we were everywhere, and that the the initial business plan when Young Henrys really started to take off. Um, for, from the founders was, which in hindsight is they joke about as being so stupid now. But they wanted to build, they wanted to build like a medium sized brewery, like the size of what our brewery at Newtown is, in every capital city in Australia, so oh, that we shit. had this local distribution everywhere. But I mean, that would have been a, a, an absolute nightmare to manage. But yeah. that was sort of the original idea. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, yeah, and we we actually did uh, build a brewery in Western Australia in Margaret River, which um, has since become Beer Farm. So that was our oh, second I, site. I very, did not know very that. Briefly. Yeah. Oh wow! Oh, I didn't know very, that. Oh. <laughs> very briefly, we were we were actually making Newtowner cans out of out of Margaret River. So oh wow, another another yeah. great brewery over there, Ripper. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You paid it forward, perhaps for someone else to start their own. <laughs> Order the beers now. So you sent me down some of your very tasty B side beers. So thank you very much for that. No um, first up, you know, we've chatted a little bit about music so far, and I love that this. This series of beers has got got the the music theme. I, I really do it because I think outside of beer, probably music is my favourite thing in the world. Oh, hold on, Mrs. Beer Healer might be listening, so I, I love her too. And I, <laughs> actually, I have kids. I love footy. Uh, anyway, I'm digging deeper. Let's move on. But um, tell me about the link to music because it's not necessarily you because you weren't there when Young Henry's was started. Is did you bring that link in, or was that already there? Because um, I feel like music's at the heart of the Young Henry's brand these days. Um, I'd I'd love to say I brought it in, but I certainly did not. <laughs> so, the the two OG founders, um, Oscar McMahon and Richard Adamson, 
they uh, Oscar was actually in Hell City Glamours, which was a a um, sort of glam rock band up in the, nice. up in Sydney in the sort of uh, from the mid two thousands to oh, maybe five years ago. They they gave oh, it wow. up, but yeah, he was still playing. Oh, maybe maybe more than five years ago. But anyway, that, like I used to sneak into their gigs at, at pubs when I was sixteen and seventeen. So. Nice. Um, they're kind of like Motley Crue vibe. Anyway, Richard was in bands. Uh, he's a bit older than Oscar, but he was in bands back in the eighties. They both bonded over um, over talking about beer and music together, yeah. uh, and that's sort of yeah, that's how it all started. So from the very very get go, and especially being um, building the brewery in, in Newtown and having such a tethered identity with Newtown, which is obviously a very creative sort yes. of forward thinking yeah. suburb. Yeah, um, that was that was always part of the plan. Actually, Oscar went to my high school as well, so <laughs> he, he went to the, the nice. Royal House High School as well. But um, yeah, so no music was always part of the the, the gig from the start. Like, how how are we going to incorporate our community, um, our local artists, you know, all that kind of stuff with our with yeah. our beer? And obviously, yep. music is really the the sort of obvious um, yeah. connection there. And and that's sort of we we started doing collabs with bands. I think I don't know if we were the first to do it in Australia or, or who knows. But yeah, I mean, we, when I first started, we were doing um, we did a collab with June Rats. We did a collab with uh, who uh, Front and Loader, who our head of logistics yeah. is their front man, Davis Claymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as well. But we've done we've done it. You know, obviously we, we did um, a collab with Foo Fighters in 2018. Yep. I think that's right. He did too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've done heaps of cool collabs with bands, and you know, we're right in the beating heart of Newtown. We're right across the road from the Enmore Theatre, as you said. Um, yeah. It's just always been part of our identity, and and will always be. Yeah, nice. What's what's your uh, personal groove music wise? Um, well, growing up playing guitar, I was, I was always like a blues guy, um, which okay. sort of turned into more rock and roll. But um, my dad really raised, raised me on uh, a lot of country music and, and the Beatles as oh. well. So yeah, yeah. I had quite cool. a broad, um, a broad sort of upbringing with music. But it was funny because when I was in high school, I'd play. I, I played. I played mandolin and banjo as well. So I play a lot of bluegrass and stuff at high school. Yeah. And people looked at like looked at me like they wanted to bash me for liking country music. <laughs> what are you doing, you and, <laughs> and now country music in specifically in the west in Sydney has just gone through this complete rebirth, and oh, everyone loves it. I can't believe it. it. Yeah, yeah, and like yeah. people like I don't even know who is it Luke Combs, Coombs or whatever. You know, he comes out, yeah, sells yeah, yeah. out arenas. Sells all everything. these guys, yeah. these American artists, these country artists are coming out here and selling out huge tours. It's unreal. Yeah, which is great. Like I, I yeah. really like that. Um, but yeah, so now I mean, when I was a teenager, honestly, there was nothing put, that I could go past other than ACDC. Um, <laughs> I, I lived in I lived in Balmain, two streets away from where Malcolm Young used to live. Oh, sweet. Um, and actually, very very uh, luckily, ended up befriending his son, and I met Malcolm oh. many times. Um, you know, went over for dinner with them and all sorts really? of stuff. So yeah, yeah. Oh so wow. Many, he, he was one of the few heroes that I've met um, that was, you know, they say don't meet don't heroes. Don't meet heroes. <laughs> he, was the, he, he was the absolute opposite, mate. He was the nicest, humblest oh, bloke in the world. Yeah. Tell the truth. You found out who his son was or who who the guy's dad was and you stalked him and made yourself get into his family, didn't you? No, no. Uh, no, not at all. So uh, it's a funny story, but I was at Dick's Hotel where I used to work in yeah. Ireland and I, I used to basically wear nothing but an ACDC shirt and I had big, long, curly hair. Like down on my back. Awesome. Um, so it was my whole thing, right? And and anyway, I, this this guy, I, I knew that Malcolm Young lived in East Belmain, you know, three or four months a year, um, and I knew that he had a son. 
that that sort of lived with him. And and uh, anyway, this guy comes up to me and he said straight away, "Oh, do you like ACDC?" I was eighteen. I was like very fresh mm. eighteen. And as like in the the time that it took him to say that, I realized who he was. I was like, "Oh, that's Malcolm Young's son," because like, he looks exactly like oh, right. yeah, like okay, one yeah. of the Youngs. Yeah. Um, and and I, he was really really short. So Malcolm and Angus, their whole family is incredibly short. Like you yeah. never, you, you wouldn't believe it. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm Malcolm Young's son. And I said, I know because <laughs> I, I figured it out. And then we had a few beers together that night and just really hit it off. And his name's Ross. I still see him um, around the traps every now and then. And then um, I remember he, we, we moved to another pub and on the way there he called Malcolm to just tell him where he's going. And uh, I just had this the weird, it was like, that guy, this my my new friend who I've just met, is holding a phone, and on the other end of that phone is Malcolm Young. I could not <laughs> believe it. So that was cool. And then we we hung out um, quite a lot, and and he eventually ended up. He said, "Oh, do you want to come around to mine for New Year's because we throw this big party?" So that was New Year's two thousand and seven, and I went there um, and met Malcolm and watched the fireworks from his beautiful mansion mm. across Sydney Harbour. And he actually, I, I got like, you know, everyone was drinking. Malcolm doesn't drink. Um, yep. he, he famously hadn't drunk since I think the late 80s or something, but he uh, ended up giving me a lift home, which is like a five-minute drive, but it was like 3 a.m. And he 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 said, oh, do you want a box of beer to take home? And I said, uh, yeah, well, of course. Like, and he gave me a lift home to my house, my childhood home, with a case of um, to his new. And I, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and all my friends were in my house having a party and yeah. I walked in and had this carton of beer and it was like the hero reception. Uh, I, I, I saved a stubby of that, which I'll never, ever give away, and it's up in yeah. my my room actually. But So I've still got the last stubby of two is new that Malcolm Young gave me. Oh, that is a sensational. <laughs> and this is why I do this podcast, for that sort of stuff that you don't think you're going to uncover. That is magnificent. I do have to say ACDC is a long way from the Australian Chamber Orchestra who played in the brewery recently, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we've had a few um, interesting ones. We've we had like um, uh, who's Billy Corgan? What's um, oh, Smashing Pumpkins? No, not, no, not him. What was the Brian Jonestown massacre? Oh yeah, who yeah. Was their, who are their rivals again? Um, uh, oh, what's his name? I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're more famous than Brian Jonestown. Anyway, I can't remember the name. I was going to say the Stray Cats, but I think I'm no, completely. No. <laughs> um, What's that? You know, heroin is so passe. What's that song? Oh, I can't believe I've. Oh, is it Danny Warhols? Danny Warhols, no. yeah, 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 yeah. Danny Warhols, yeah. So they they did an acoustic set one night because they were playing across the road at the Enmore. Um, they did an acoustic set um, in the brewery, which because we we're not oh, allowed sweet. to have live music, so we we had yeah. to like sneakily record. Yeah, yeah. but that was cool <laughs> because I was I was brewing on the evening shift, and uh, excuse me, and. Um, they were like, people would come into the brewery and be like, okay, be, be quiet, be quiet. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm fucking running a pump like it's loud. <laughs> but I remember I, I snuck into the bar just as they started and I was like, um, I was cooling a batch of work and I was had my timer on. I was like, I'm watching like the Danny Warhols right here play like a few minutes in front of me. And then like my timer went off. <laughs> oh. so I was like, I'm going to run. And then they had to like redo the take or something. But it was oh. plenty, plenty of cool experiences like that. But um, we've had like Nathaniel Ratliff do sets there. We had famously we had uh, Hanson. Um, Hanson oh, were doing a set because we're like literally across the road from the Memorial Theatre. So yeah. quite often international artists will come in 
and hang out or local artists, whatever. They'll come in and hang yeah. out before the gig or whatever. But Hanson came in, like the three brothers came in and went up to the bar and said, we're Hanson, can we see your brewery? And it was just so bizarre. Because they've like, got their own beer, haven't they? They've got yeah, beer. Yeah. Yeah. And no, no, one knew, no one knew this at the time, but they uh, Richard took them on a walkthrough and they were like totally knew their shit. So they knew, you know, ah. oh, that's that's obviously the hot liquor tank, blah, 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 whatever. And yeah. Richard's like, what, how do you know all this? And they're like, oh, we actually have a, we own a brewery um, yeah. or, a, or a brand. So and yeah. we got photos with them and everything, but that was pretty one of the more um, bizarre ones that we've had come through. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, as much as I love talking about music, we do need to bring it back to the beer because we're about 45 minutes in. We've hardly spoken about it. <laughs> as I said, the B-Sides, it's your limited release program and it's been around for uh, quite a few years. And, you know, in the early days, you guys were really well known for smashing out heaps of different beer styles. I don't know how many you did, but I just remember that was kind of your thing. Now, I know you serve a lot of R&D type beers through the, the taps at the, the brew, but in terms of packaging the B-Sides, I've got to call it out. You've been a little bit up and down with your packaging of the B sides in the last <laughs> few years. I did did my um, my checks, and I I think one year you had four, another year it was one, and then it was a two. And um, so anyway, can you fix that, please, for one? But the, the, <laughs> the I, had a me- I had a meeting about this very subject today. <laughs> <laughs> just just get regular, will you? Because we like we love them. Um, but this the last one is the fantastic. Fantasmic Mr. Hops, um, about six months since the last one. So there, you, you're still on track to do another one this year, hopefully. Um, the last one was called What'll, What'll They Think Of Next? Um, I was just wondering, so, so A, where do you see the program going in the future? Because obviously you've just had a meeting about it. <laughs> and I was I was wondering, do you because often the B-side, sorry, often the, the limited releases are to help keep the brewers entertained because they do a lot of the same, same stuff, so you do this to help them, you know, flex their creativity. But I was thinking, you know, the fact that you've got all these bar exclusives that you're doing, to, doing is that why you haven't concentrated on, you know, say four limiteds per year? Because the guys are flexing their creativity every other week with the R&D series in, in the bar. Well, okay, this is a very good question. It's a very complicated, a very complicated answer. Um so we, we still do many more limiteds every year than the B-sides. The problem yep. is, is that basically going back to what I said earlier about when, when, you're, when it, your brand is the size our brand is, we, to do a, a collab, to really make it worth it, we need to actually expose the brand more and try and grow. And, and, and with yep. that, we're trying to target, you know, similar sized or bigger uh, you know, partners to do that with. Yep. Um, so a lot of we we generally do one huge collab uh, a year, like we famously did with Rolling Stone magazine. Um, obviously, Foo Fighters. Yep. Uh, Volcom. We've done you know oh, yeah. done a few, uh, and you, you know they're not always um, they're, they're sometimes clothing companies, breweries, whatever. Yeah. So that will take up a lot of the sort of bandwidth of what we can sort of put into the market that won't compete with our own products. So, you know, breweries that are in that sort of not infancy but that sort of adolescent stage of like we can release a new beer every week, that, that's that's awesome. But we, we can't do that because, we you know, the, the infrastructure that needs to go into the branding, the marketing, production, specifically logistics and distribution, it's like it's mm. massive. It's a massive, massive yeah. ask. Yeah. So Brewers B-Sides, yes, you're right. It's been very up and down in terms of how many we've done a year. Um, yeah, the, the first one we did, the first year we did four, I think. Yeah, the other thing is that we don't have, at Newtown, we don't have a canning line. So we, we just predominantly oh. do keg, yeah, we just do keg um, kegs out of Newtown. 
Yep. Um, our, our cans are made offsite at, at a couple of different locations, but yep. half of my job is um, sort of really uh, not keeping my eye, but working closely with those other businesses yep. to, you know, to uphold the quality of the product. Yeah, um, yep. I, I tell people I've stayed in every motel in Goulburn, but I think I've lied. I've stayed in <laughs> all but all but two. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, so so that uh, not having our own canning line when we do want to do a B side, which is made at Newtown, um, we yep. get you know East Coast canning and mobile canners. Yeah. It, it adds significant cost to the yes. to the product. Yep, um, and where our brand isn't a, a, in terms of price point, we're not one of those you know. Brands that charge can charge fifteen bucks a can, like even no, for a four forty no, no. or whatever. Uh, I know and, that, that. And, and yeah, thank you for not for not doing that. <laughs> oh well, mate, mate, I, I get I, I get really passionate about that because it, um, you know, without getting too into it, I just that's not what beer should be. Like, yeah, yeah. push the boundaries with what you make your beer, but but holding people to ransom for that much money, um, I just it, it's just not right. Like. I just I think people need to restrain that a bit. I know you know there are breweries that obviously do it really well, and those breweries have really really passionate loyal yes. fan bases, which yep. that's great. That's great. But yeah, yeah, we, we we've surpassed that. You know, we did I think twenty six or twenty seven beers in our first year, um, and and we're now we're now we've got a really solid core range, and it's more about more about that, and then doing things like the B sides to try and uh, you know expose the keep the brand relevant in in those spaces, like one hundred percent create a, um, you know, flex our creative muscle. That's huge, a huge one for me personally. And, and obviously my team who I I really want us to always be able to do cool stuff. Um, but yeah, so B sides, we're really trying to hone in, get to the point where we know, you know, keg versus carton, how often can we do it? What's the right volume? So there's not stuff sitting, stock sitting around for months. Like it's a really, really tricky thing. And I, I feel in the last sort of, um, few months with the, the introduction of this demo tapes or demo batch series that you've been talking about, about the um, one on the tasting bar every week, that's really helped sort of get people within the, in the business to understand that we can do, we have the ability to make all these fantastic beers and we can scale that up and actually successfully become more crafty. Not, not that we're not craft obviously, but more, more that hyper craft focused yep. as well. We have that offering. Yeah. Um, yep. So I, I really think that in six months time, the B-sides and, and our general sort of smaller limiteds, that will be in a really, really healthy spot and, yeah. a, and a long time, a long many years have gone into that. So, yeah. Good good, uh, good response. Um, so this phantasmic, phantasmic Mr. Hops is, a, in my opinion, pretty – it's a tropical haze bomb, I'm going to call it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to pretend like I'm all over the science that went into creating this beer. So can you just please explain why this beer is so special? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you can first of all thank our good friends in marketing for the name. <laughs> uh, I think it's a reference to a Wes Anderson movie, but um, the, the first idea was called uh, Phantasmic Voyage because obviously they need to oh, be yeah. relevant to music. Come along you know. and on. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, but anyway, we went with this. But um, you, you would have heard of Phantasm. I'm sure most of the listeners yes. would have heard yeah, of yeah. Phantasm. Phantasm isn't is just a cool new name for a, a, a product that's been used, not not the exact same product, but a, a, a technology that's been used for quite a while in, in winemaking. And um, Joss Ruffle at, at, from Garage Product has done an incredible job at sort of bringing that 
idea and that experimentation into into beer, which is what yep. Garage Project's all about. Yeah. But yeah, Phantasm um, that is a powder. It's dried grape skins, Sauvignon Blanc from Marlborough, New Zealand. What what they're actually what they do? Um, it's it's kind of like a cool word for something that's kind of pretty nerdy, but it's all to do with <laughs> with uh, thiol production. So th- thiols are a compound um, which the human nose is incredibly sensitive to. They're an, ar- an aromatic and flavor compound. Um, we're, we're sensitive to them in, in parts per trillion. So you know you hear about dissolved oxygen being measured in parts per per billion pass per trillion for thiols, it's like you, you need absolutely nothing to really to really experience them. They're, yep. they're very much perceived as like a real dank fruitiness and, you know, he sort of put two and two together with trying to engineer or bring that that engineered um, technology over from winemaking. But the, the way that they work is that or the way that Phantasm works is it actually is a precursor to thiols um, and it, it, using the right yeasts and the, under the right conditions can really help unlock the thiols that naturally exist in malt and hops, uh, but also mainly in this sort of, you know, real um, concentrate of thiol precursor. So unlocking those thiols really produces really strong aromatic compounds. Um, the, the sort of reason what they're really targeted at at the moment, and it's massive in America, is thialized IPAs. It's the, the least sexiest. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's the say- least sexiest uh, <laughs> style name I've ever heard, thialized. Um, anyway, the... It's really about trying to save on hops, to be honest. It's it's really about being able to use or unlock these styles with yeast and other things like Phantasm to to be able to achieve, you know, fruity esters and fruity aromas without having to chuck, you know, millions of dollars at hops at things because hops have a really diminishing return after after a certain yeah. concentration yep. and, and yep. they're also really bad for yield. Um, they, they soak up a lot of beer. They, they, there can be a risk depending on how you're dosing them. There can be a, a microbiological risk. Um, you know, all the beer fans and brewers that listen to this would know all that already. But anyway, Phantasm was sort of just the hero um, ingredient that we chose to, to name because it's a cool name. Um, <laughs> but we, the, the whole sort of idea behind this beer is I wanted to sort of back to your point about we hadn't done a B-side in six months. I was like, let's can do something that, where we, everything that we use in it, we've never used before. So I wanted to oh, use nice. from ba- from base malt, from hops, from everything. Let's just throw everything at a wall and see what it comes out at, um, cool. or what, what it looks like. And um, yeah, we did. We basically did that. So we used a predominantly a base malt, which is a new offering from Barrett Burston called Extra Pale, um, in conjunction with a couple other base malts to to really target that thiol precursor. But uh, yeah, we used that. We used um, a whole bunch of new hops. We used two experimental varieties from HBC, so Hop Breeding Program in, in America that I luckily or um, very uh, I was very uh, privileged to, to rub on, on the field in Yakima. Um, that's oh, 10, nice. 1019 and 586, which I'm sure will get commercialised and then named um, probably by the end of next year. Probably just um, come out as the name um, Jesse James. No, I didn't. <laughs> my my middle name is actually James. Believe it or not, know, you wouldn't. I know. Yeah, <laughs> you, you wouldn't believe my dad's an old cowboy from Arizona, but he's. Are so. you gonna um, go down in flames? Act just a James. Uh, I've got them yeah. all. All the shit songs. Anyway, so that it, that was sort of the mentality with this beer. Um, yeast as well. We used a yeast strain that we'd never used before, which. Um, has actually, we were so happy with how it performed. Uh, we've actually replaced 
um, our old yeast strain that we used for our Hazy Pale, which is a core range beer of ours, yep. with that now, which has taken that beer to a whole oh, cool. new level. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. So we, we this B-side, um, we, we learnt as a, a collective, as a brute, as the production team, learnt heaps about different lessons that we can apply to other, our other beers. And that that's sort of always what I want definitely as, as the head brewer and for the team is to get people psyched and interested about learning about beer, like always thinking about beer and being curious. You that's always cool. remain curious. But we, we actually learned some really cool tangible lessons from this beer um, that we have, have applied elsewhere to really good effect. But mainly this beer, we've never really done a beer, we've never really done big hazies before. Um, and certainly not to the level that, of quality that I think this is, and we're we're all really stoked with the um with the with this beer. Like, um, it's it's super. It was it's funny. So the the hero hop was going to be because we were very unsure of those two experimentals. Like, I didn't really know what was going to take over or how it was going to sort of portray and what what it was going to throw in the final product. But we went with Simcoe Cryo, which would never use the Cryo version of Simcoe, but very, you know, tried yep. and trusted American hop. Yeah. Um, and and it was funny because it, it it was about two to one proportionally with the, the two um, the two experimentals, and the experimentals actually completely usurped it. We, it oh. Originally, we I was thinking that this beer was going to be quite more citrus forward, but it, it kind of became more um, about that tropical. I, I I describe it as like caramelized coconut and pineapple, like. Um, Ooh, I love I love hearing you brewers explain your own beers because well, that's the stuff I don't I don't I can't I can't explain things well enough. <laughs> so I well, take it simple. It's it's really soft and just juicy, but th- there is a layer of citrus underneath it, which I'm really I really like. And uh, as it's aged in the in the can, it's actually that citrus is now elevating and coming through more. Um, so I, we're just stoked delicious. to this beer. It's really just the other thing is it's seven percent on the dot mm. and it does not drink like that. We've always had a really ah. good uh, ability to sort of hide booze. Like we've never made a, a high like alcohol it. beer that, that communicates as, as hot. Um, this is, yeah, it's dangerously sessionable for me. I, honestly, I hadn't even looked at the ABV till you said that then. I can see on the side it's 2.1 standard drinks on a weeknight. Um, <laughs> I'd like to go for a couple more. but <laughs> That was great. What, I, what I'm hearing from you in describing this beer is like, an attention to detail, and you you talked about the lab before being really important to you. And I, I love the fact that you know if breweries can, they uh, invest in you know some kind of a lab because, as you say, the rising tide floats all boats. And mm. I just think it's so cool seeing that attention to detail. What I wanted to you to talk to about a little bit was the fact that you. Effectively, you talked about it before, Pilsner Raquel. You effectively recreated Pilsner Raquel for the Fortunate Sons' third birthday party. I think it was was it late last year. Yeah, um, yeah. Are you a are you a lager lover? And is that why you did it, or is it all about the hops for you? Well, I'm sure you have had many brewers on this podcast that will say the same thing: is that all brewers are lagerheads. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah most, heard brewer, that most brewers are sick of hops, or not sick of it, but. Where, the the way to really understand a brewery and their their quality and their talent is by drinking their lager because there's nowhere to hide in a lager. You can't just chuck hops at it. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I've always I, I've I've been through very different iterations of what I've what I like in drinking and drinking beer for me is very situational. But yep. um, you know, lager for me is uh, and pilsner more more specifically like 
especially Czech Pilsner, but German, German Pilsner as well. It really is is what I love. Um, yep. And and that project we did for for Fortunate Son, which is a, a really really cool bar, just just around like it's. I think it's our low, uh, our nearest customer. It's thirty meters from the from the brewery. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and they also won best bar in Australia or something last year. Crazy, but yeah. you know, excellent tiny tiny little bar. It's like a little old whiskey bar. But they have. Um, they chose to get Pilsner Urquell on tap when they opened and they pour it properly with the proper mugs, the side pour, yeah, everything. It cool. takes yeah, takes yeah. a while for them to pour. Uh, and they finally got around to like, well, not they, but we collectively finally got around to doing a collab together. And we, I remember I had this meeting with Dylan, the owner, who's a legend of a bloke, and we had kind of come up with this short list of crazy ideas because we were thinking, oh, so usually when you do a collab in the meeting, you kick off. If you do it with a band, they're going to say, "Can we make like a craft beer that's not too fruity, like Reshes?" <laughs> or yeah. you do it with like you do it with a bar, and they go, "Oh, we want to make like a ten percent lactose cherry sour with fucking this, that, and the other." <laughs> so there's really no middle ground. But we sort of prepared a few ideas in that kind of on that end of the spectrum to to like you know try and talk to him about. But what I had hoped is like he'll be really receptive to the main idea, which was was to do a Pilsner Kell clone. And he sat down and we were like, so anyway, Dylan, what, what kind of beer do you want to do? And he's like, oh, it'd be really cool if we could like do something like the pills though. And we're all like, oh, yes. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> so, yeah, we spent like um, a good month or two like really analysing Pilsner Kell for everything that we could possibly measure in our lab and also sensorily and, and drinking, like really un- trying to understand what that beer is about um, and then, you know, sort of reverse engineering that and, and designing a recipe around it. Um, to, to hit all those targets and, you know, without, I know that we don't have long left, but without going too much into it, like we, we fucking nailed every single thing, like I every, every spec that we, that we could measure, we yeah. nailed and, and the brew was, we did a full triple decoction, which took, you know, a typical uh, brew length for us because we've got a mash filter is, is like three and a half hours. It took us eight and a half hours that beer um, and, you know, every, every stage of it was hard and slow, but the end result was incredible. And it's probably one of the proudest I've, I've ever been of a beer and, and a concept, like from start to finish, the way that we went about that. For me, I was just like, we fucking nailed it. It was really, really a good feeling. Um, and everybody and that, came that in and brewed it for free. <laughs> <laughs> I heard well, the story about I, I, the, uh, the public holiday, you fuck up with the travel uh, and that. Oh, well, I was, going to, <laughs> I was going to hop selection the next day, flying out to Seattle and because uh, of the Queen's birthday or whatever. Well, the, no, it was the, her death day celebration yeah. oh yeah yeah um and and so that we asked them we said look this is the last day we can do it do you guys still want to bring your staff in we'll we'll come and do it on the public holiday for free man or two of the other brewers um and we did but it was a fantastic day and i was really really happy with the end result and so was everyone that's cool that is really yeah. cool um attention to detail obviously in that in that way as well um is attention to detail while you keep your own diary <laughs> And why the hell did your diary end up in the Powerhouse Museum? <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Okay. That's a good one. Um, so I'm pretty old school with the way I work. So my my job's probably about nowadays 15 20% on the floor and the rest is in office in the offices and oh, in yeah. meetings all day. Yeah. I, I don't even like have my own boy. laptop. I have my own computer. Yeah, <laughs> finally. Um, <laughs> but I, I have a notepad which I write things down. I don't know why. I just, I, I remember things better if I'm just 
write them down. Um, so during COVID, which was obviously, as I mentioned before, we only make kegs, so we couldn't actually yeah. produce any beer mm. out of Newtown during lockdowns. Um, I we, we had to pivot, pivot was the word that everyone was using. Yep. We had to effectively, it wasn't pivoting, it was distilling our oldest keg beer that was going to go out of date um, <laughs> to, make hand, to make hand sanitizer. So ah. to try and redesign the way the brewery worked um, where everyone else was stood down, sadly, like basically 80 or 90% of the company was stood down. So it was just me at the, and the production manager at the time. Um, you know, it was, it, was the, it was the Wild West. No one knew what was going on. No one had lived mm. through this before. Um, but we, we had to sort of work out how to do that. And, and my, my notes through COVID, um, we ended up doing some partnership with the Powerhouse Museum in Sydney about, you know, what people in 100 years' time will read about, oh, COVID was this big pandemic and, you know, 100 years ago, like what was it like? And so they wanted to sort of put things into ah. basically a time capsule yeah, to kind of, yeah, to kind of show what it was like. So I don't know how my diary ended up there. I should have redacted a few things, I reckon. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, uh, it, it was, it's cool that that that, um, that was actually a thing, but. Yeah, I don't think anyone will be able to read my handwriting anyway, so I'm, I think I'm sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, lucky. I just thought that was really interesting that I, I, I couldn't quite work out how what the connection was, but I guess it's um, just another way that you guys give give back to the community, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, and it was just one of those things. Everyone was trying to just do anything that would was a positive good news story at the time, and that was sort of something that seemed cool. So, yeah. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, you know, that whole social justice and inclusivity and all that sort of stuff's always been at the heart of of the young Henry's brand. Um, the world is a pretty bloody complex place these days. Is, is it difficult to be a brewery but also, you know, respect all those all those values in everything you do? Because one little trip up, you know, doing that and you're cancelled. So yeah. is it hard to juggle that? Well, yes and no. I mean, what you said is completely right. You know, we've seen a few breweries in the last few years get like cancelled for doing something yep. that stupid. you know has been yeah yeah. At the end of the day, it's yeah, stupid. Basically, um, yeah. You know, I, I know some of the people at those breweries, and they're not. No, I don't think anyone's out there to piss anyone off. Really, like nah. it's just that this is the world we live in, and and yeah. you know, for better or for worse, that's the way it is. And and we, so when I say it's an easy and a hard thing to answer. It's easy to answer because at Young Henry's we've never re- we've had a which is actually kind of a, <laughs> it's kind of funny because on our original board uh, board of house rules in the tasting bar the top rule was said no dicks as in like no <laughs> no, no, dickheads. no no dickheads and yeah. that's we, we've kept that sign in the bar um, you know to this day and we've yeah. really lived by that like you know we've had people that started a job at Young Henry's and after a week or so everyone's realized this person's a dick, mm. uh, like, you know, get, like they need, they, they're not going to fit in. So we've always been that trying to, a, a group of people that's really trying to be inclusive and, and nice and just generally good people. So I, I, I feel like as a brand, we, we never have to go out of our way to try and comply with, with, you know, with not getting cancelled. We just don't, we just don't do just stuff. Dicks. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we, we try our best, and and yeah. you know, we do. We have a lot of great community. Um, I, I think everyone just knows that Young Henry's is a fairly, um, you know, generous and, and responsible contributor to the community in, in many different ways. But yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. your B Corp certification, the scholarship for women, um, you know, 
working with the University of Technology, all these little things, just lots of many, many crumbs make a life for you guys and, and you seem to yeah. be doing lots of different stuff. Yeah, we do. And, and it's um, something that's, it's a cool like differential and, and uh, it's actually, it's cool because it feels nice to be part of it and, and to actually make a difference in that, those sort of spaces. And, and many brands would do it to tick a box or, you know, become accepted. But for you guys, it feels like it's been at the heart of what you've been doing for all these years. And it's just, from my ex- my experience with the brand, it seems just really authentic. Yeah, man. I, like, I think I could say a lot of that comes from the top down with yep. specifically Oscar McMahon. Like, he's a very sort of just charitable, charitable happy, friendly guy, and he just wants to do right by everyone. And and um, he's my boss, by the way. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my review's coming up. So, <laughs> uh, but he, he really is, and and he, um, you know, he's lived a really interesting life, and and obviously, young Henry's has been a huge part of it. And he just genuine, genuinely wants to make the world a better place, and so does everyone that works there. I certainly do like the impact that we've been able to make with decarbonisation and the and the sustainability aspect of our brewery is really, mm. really cool. And that's like, you know, I, t- I tell you about my dad, like I, I, sent, I sent him this beer, this, the Phantasm, yep. and he sort of said, oh, yeah, it's, it's all right, it's better when it warms up. But when I send him an article about us, you know, saving a bunch of water or something, it, that's when he actually gets like tears in his eyes about being proud. Oh, and, and, the, nice. and that, But that's that's like for me that, that may, makes it mean even more is, the, the the older generation, you know, can see that the younger generation is actually wanting to fix what's going on, and that same saying that same saying as before mm. is every drop of, of rain knows, raises the ocean. Like everyone needs to somehow affect the world positively, and we hope we are doing that in some way as well. Certainly feels like it from this location. Um, love what you guys have done over the years. I'm sorry that we uh, got a little bit distant there, but I'm blaming it on you guys. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, mate, I, I really um, – every time I go down to Tassie, which is like honestly once every two months or so, I come back and I write – I'll write like a big dossier to the sales team about, look, I reckon if we just did this and this and this, we could really make it work. Because um, I, I, I really think, and I say this sound over heart, Young Henry is, is a brand that could do well in Hobart. Like, I, I feel there's oh, a lot so. of yeah. there's a lot yeah, of I things so. that that, yeah. that make it sort of yeah some sort of cross pollination. But um, the fact of the matter is that sending beer on the water is just really oh, ridiculous. Rips any margin out of it, and, anything, and the reverse for the same reason for these guys down here who have 100%. to all fight and scrape to you know be talking to couple hundred thousand people would be so easy to lob it into the west of Sydney where there's a billion of you, um, yeah. you know. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is it's just so expensive to send it across there. It just makes it cost prohibitive. So, yeah, I, I totally get it, totally get it. When, uh, when so- we took the production team down this this year for Hop Harvest, like I, I planned this whole itinerary because we had a free day and we did this big tour down to Bruni Island and everything because nice. everyone at work always goes, why are you so into Tassie, like? But most of them haven't hadn't been. And when we went yep. down, and we went to Huntington Distillery and a bunch of breweries. Obviously, had the launch at Hobart Brewing Company. At the end of it, when we were like boarding the plane home, most of them sort of came to me and said, "Like, I totally get it now. I get why you're so into Tassie." And and um, I, I just wish that yeah, Young Henrys could could really have a, a major presence down there. But at the moment, and and who's to say that's not a possibility in the future? But at the moment, it's just too hard with freight and everything. It's just- yeah, yeah. It's funny you say that about Tassie. I'm having a chat this week with my mate Ben Miller, 
who sometimes has been on the podcast with me, a uh, good mate of Dave Paddens, and he's, his yeah. beer brand up in Sydney is called From Ben. And uh-huh. uh, he's he's been talking about, oh, I'd love to come to Tassie one day. And he's like, you know, what, what is it like? I said, well, if you can get past the fact that it's fairly quiet and that yeah. sometimes there's not a lot of nightlife, if you get past that, it's freaking amazing. Like really, like things are close relatively. Like you can go top to bottom of the state in, you know, four hours kind of thing and you've got, yeah. you know, great mountains and rivers and lakes and, you know, bushwalking and all that sort of cool stuff. Um, it's, it's a little bit sleepy at times, but if you can get past that and you certainly if you're in, say, my age group, you know, in my late 40s, um, yeah, it's a pretty nice place to be. That's why I've, I've never left. Well, a good mate of mine um, who's who's Tasmanian born and bred, his name's Cripsy, as he would Cripsy. say. God's country, mate. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. That's nice I think we'll leave it with that. Thanks for your time tonight. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Cheers, Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you like the story and want to hear more, please subscribe via your favourite podcast service so that you are notified of new episodes. You can also rate the podcast on Apple and Spotify to help others find it. If you have an idea for a guest, shoot me a message via the socials. And speaking of the socials, if you aren't already, why don't you follow me on Instagram and Facebook? It'll help me spread this craft beer gospel. And finally, cheers to great beers.